0: We're going to be uh, talking about uh, a subject uh, this morning uh, that I, I, I've just been praying that God will use our time together today to really minister to our hearts. And we're going to get practical at the, at the end of the message this morning as well as we, as we pray over people and anoint people with oil. You know, um, the Bible is filled with some really wonderful words. And uh, we're supposed to take those words and chew on those words, meditate on those words, and let those words fill our heart. Let let them get into our spirit. Often when we read the Scripture, um, we're taking it in mentally, right? We've got an intellectual kind of understanding of what we're reading. But the words uh, of of Scripture, the, the Word of God, is to minister to our spirit as well. So we've got to get it into not only our minds but into our hearts. That's why we meditate on it. That's why we say, God, what are you saying to me in these words and through these words? That's why we should be reading the Scripture on a regular basis. Now Paul uh, uh, uses some extraordinary words uh, often when you read the New Testament, and he uses words like this in 2 Corinthians to describe um, his work in ministry. And I just love these words. These words popped out at me a little while ago. And I just I looked at these words and I thought, wow, I love these words. Unknown and yet well known. He's, he, he was reaching and planting churches, speaking in synagogues around the Mediterranean and the Roman Empire. And he said of his ministry as, as they're talking about God, he was saying, you know, what we're doing over here is unknown and yet well known. And I think sometimes that's our kind of understanding of God. We, many of us have grown up in church. We've grown up having some kind of understanding of God. And so there are things of God that are well known to us. But yet there's still so much that is unknown. And I love those words. Unknown yet well known. They speak to me of what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. How God can take material things like water and bread and wine and oil, and he makes them a vehicle of the Spirit. It's this combination of an outward visible sign, something that we can see visibly, and an inward spiritual grace. And so I've called this teaching series Sacraments. But the, in the, the words that I've been using here are, are holy moments. That's, that's what I've been saying. I'm saying, we're talking here about holy moments holy moments in the life of a believer. What is a believer? A believer is someone who has made a decision in their life to follow Jesus. Someone who, in obedience to his teachings, comes to a place of encounter, and where you experience God in a moment that really and truly can only be described as holy. An encounter with the living God. And so this morning, I want to encourage you again to open up your hearts to the Holy Spirit let God move let just just if you've got had stuff go down in your world over this last week yesterday the last week the last month just in the next couple of moments just quietly say to yourself okay God here I am I'm sitting in a church space this morning I'm 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 sitting with a bunch of other people and and I'm here because of you and so God would you speak to me this morning would you minister to my heart sacraments these holy moments are personal they are the means whereby God's grace is appropriated to every Christian individually. This is an individual encounter with the living God. And there's so much depth to what I've been talking about, you know, these seven sacraments. I could spend a year easily just talking about these seven things. There's so much depth to them. But I realize that people these days don't have a very long attention span, so we're gonna just, just going to move on, okay? Okay. This morning, and I'm gonna talk about healing today. I'm gonna to talk about the anointing of the sick. And we're gonna take some time to, to do this practically this morning before before we leave. So let's pray, and then um, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. So, Heavenly Father, as, as we come before you this morning, and as we look at this topic of healing, God I ask in all humility and in obedient trust that we would really taste some of your goodness this morning, that we would see your in-breaking kingdom today. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher this morning, that you would help us enable uh, um, the word, that it might come alive, that we would come alive to its truth and that we would exercise our faith, God. So often we say we have faith in you, but Lord, this morning may we exercise our faith. And so we come to you with hearts open, hearts wide open, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you value health and healing? I think pretty much all of us, right? We're living in the 21st century. We've made huge advances in this area. We value health and healing. I'm sure many of us sitting here today have private health care arrangements. Um, most of us, I'm sure are happy that we live in a country that has something called Medicare, that we're able to get the medical attention that we need. Uh, We might have to wait a little while sometimes sitting in a space, but but it's there, it's available, it's it's there for us. So I think we're grateful for that. But uh, we're obviously not the first people on the planet to value health and healing. Health and healing has always been a valued part of life. And health and healing is something that's been integral to the Christian faith since the very beginning. Right, and, and uh, since since the creation of the world, health and healing have been something that is that has been integral to to human life. One of the great prophetic themes of the Old Testament concerned uh, the promised Messiah. Right, and Isaiah speaks about this, where 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 the Father was going to send His Son. Right, God incarnate, God would take on human form and come to to make known to humanity, who God is. And and when you read the prophet Isaiah, he says that the Son of God was going to come to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. And then when we encounter Jesus, we encounter the birth of this little baby. But there's something divine about this, this individual, both human and divine. And Jesus grows up and then receives the Holy Spirit. And once he's received, the Holy Spirit has come upon him. The Holy Spirit's been poured out upon him. Jesus starts his ministry here on earth after that moment. And what we see as a part of Jesus' ministry was healing after healing after healing after healing after healing. Healing was integral to the ministry of Jesus. Matthew puts it this way in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew tells us that when Jesus started his ministry, he went through Galilee, the area in which he had grown up, and he was teaching people in their synagogues, teaching Jewish folk because he came to the Jews first, uh, and he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He was saying the kingdom of heaven has drawn close to you. The kingdom of heaven is available to you. Are you prepared to receive it? Are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to make the kingdom yours? And then Matthew says, and in addition to sharing them the message of the kingdom he was curing every disease and every sickness among the people curing every disease and every sickness among the people in addition to that Jesus was healing darkened hearts and minds when he was um, releasing people from demonic oppression and so one aspect of of the good news message that is unmistakable when you read the Bible when you read the New Testament Um, When you read the the account of Jesus, his life, his ministry, the life of his followers, um, something that's unmistakable is that Jesus and his early followers had a concern for health and for healing. Health and healing are part of the gospel. And the ministry of healing was not something that was confined only to Jesus. It wasn't only Jesus who was, who was healing people, right? Jesus gave his followers authority to go out and heal the sick in his name. So what we see are these disciples who become the early apostles. And the, those apostles participated in God's work of healing. And they, whenever there was someone who was healed, whenever there was a divine healing, they attributed that miracle, that healing to the risen, ascended Christ. The disciples healed the sick. This is what Jesus said to them when he sent them out two by two in Matthew chapter 10 here. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. In other words, he gave them authority over any demonic power, any demonic force, demonic oppression. To cast them out. To say, you have no hold over this life. These days in the 21st century, I'm going off my notes now, but it's just making me think. We don't talk too much about demonic oppression. We go through life and we want to label everything. And we don't have the spiritual eyes to see where demonic powers are at work. Do you think demonic powers have gone away? They have not. And Jesus comes and gives his disciples authority over demonic powers, over unclean spirits, to get rid of them. And then Jesus says to his twelve that I'm going to give you authority over here to cure every disease and every sickness. So we, we read Matthew saying that Jesus went about in his ministry curing every disease and sickness, and then he comes, when he sends his disciples out, he says, boys, now it's time to go and do what I've taught you to do. I want you to get out there, and I want you to go and minister to people, and I want you to pray for them, and I want you to heal them. I'm giving you authority to cure every disease and every sickness. And when you read on in the Bible, you get after the Gospels, to the book of Acts. And it's called Acts because it was the Acts of the Apostles. It was those disciples who were taking what they'd learned from Jesus and they were doing it. It's the book of doings, right? It's called Acts, the book of doings, the Acts of the Apostles. And what you see when you read the book of Acts is that the followers of Jesus, those early followers of Jesus, were praying for sick people. And when you read, you suddenly begin to see that people were being healed. There were divine healings in the name of Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul comes along, and he gets touched by God in a powerful and mighty way, and he turns from persecuting Christians to trying to love them. First, they're not sure. What's happened to this guy? You know, a demon's been cast out of this guy, man. He's changed. He's changed. And Paul is, is so anointed by God that he, he contributes to most of the New Testament through his letters, right? And Paul identifies healing as a gift. Paul says this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why healing is foundational to the church. Healing, the healing, healing as a ministry is, is a part of the sacramental life of the church. And if you go back in time, you you find that this became part of the message of the early church. The church in the first few centuries was known for divine healing. It was notable that in churches, people were getting healed. God was moving in a miraculous way. And too often, we here in the 21st century, we've forgotten very often about what happened way back when. We don't even really, we know what the Bible says, but then we've got this gap. We don't really know. What happened you know, with the church in those early days, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, we don't pay too much attention. We're going to pay a bit of attention to that this morning because in, in the writings of the early church fathers, and when I talk about the church fathers, I'm talking about those who the disciples had passed the message on to. Right? So they didn't have a Bible. They had the Old Testament scriptures. It was only in the fourth century that, that the New Testament got collated and they began to put together all of this thing into, uh, into a book which we know as the Bible. So for the first three centuries, if you became a Christian, the reason why you'd become a Christian is because somebody had told you about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And you'd made a decision to say, I want some of that. I want, I want to follow him. I, I want some of that in my life. I want the kingdom in my life. And so what would happen was the message would be passed down. It would be like a baton, right? Passing, if, you, if you, any of you ever run a relay race, what do you hand off to the next person? A stick. Did you drop the stick, Pete? Yeah, a, lot. a lot. Sometimes we do that with the Word of God. Because we, we, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to hand this off as a baton, and sometimes we drop it. We mess it up. We've got to work at this to get this better. To understand what's in here so that we can pass this on in a healthy way. But that's what was happening in those first few centuries. They were taking what the disciples, Peter, James, John, all those dudes had taught them. And then they were going, yeah, I've got that. And then they were passing it on to others. But those early church leaders, those early church fathers were writing down what had been told to them. They were writing down what was happening. And in fact, you can go and get some of those books. They're amazing. It's amazing stuff to read about what was going on in, in, that, in that early church. Ignatius, for example, became the, the bishop of, of Antioch. And uh, Antioch was where Peter went. And, and church history tells us that Ignatius was the dude who was the little, one of the little kids who Jesus said, come, no, no, let them, let them come to me. Come sit on my lap. All right? So it's, it's amazing when you actually get into the reality of this movement that's called the church that we're a part of. And the writings of the early church fathers tell us that there were divine healings, divine miracles taking place in the church. This is from a guy whose name was Irenaeus, St. Irenaeus, at the end of the second century. The guy, this is from, he lived from in the year 130 to 202, a long time ago. But here's what he wrote. He said, this is what's going on in the church. Some people are driving out devils. Some have foreknowledge of the future. Others Often heal the sick through the laying on of hands. And even the dead, how's this? <laughs> have you read that? Even the dead have been raised up before now and have remained with us for many years. How radical would that be? If somebody was raised from the dead and 10 years later, we say, Oh, Pete, you know, Pete died 10 years ago, man. We prayed for him, he's back, he's back with us, you know. Can you imagine? This is this is this is what was going on in that early church. So there are amazing stories that you read about divine healing, miracles in that early church. And you know what happened with those healings, with those divine miracles, was that they opened a door. They opened a door for the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And here's another story from the third century. There was a, a guy whose name was Gregory the Wonderworker. Actually, his name, his name was Gregory Thaumaturgus, right? He only lived for, I don't know, about 50 years or so, six, 70 years there, right? Gregory became known as Gregory the Wonderworker. He grew up in a pagan household where they worshiped pagan gods, and his parents wanted him to be a lawyer. And so his parents sent him off to, uh, it was Alexandria, I believe, in in modern-day Egypt. He sent them off to Alexandria because there were schools there, and then Gregory was going to go and become a lawyer. But Gregory ran into this guy named Origen. And Origen was an early church father. And Origen had a school. He had like a Bible school where he was teaching people the things of God, right? And so Gregory meets Jesus through Origin, and, and, and his life gets radically changed. He lands up becoming a pupil of Origin. He lands up studying under Origen. And then Gregory felt God call him back to where he had come from. And he went back to, um, in modern day geography, it would be north central Turkey. So he goes back to this, 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 this area, this part of the world, and he begins telling people about Jesus and healing the sick and casting out demons. And the report that we have from church history um, when he arrived in this area was that there were only 17 people in that area who identified as Christians, who, who were believers, 17 people. And they say that by the time his life ended, there were only 17 people who were not Christians in that area. That's from early church writings. And so he preached and he instructed, but he healed the sick and he cast out demons, and that's why he became known as Gregory the Wonderworker. In fact, one of his very first converts was a priest in a pagan temple. And Gregory went and actually needed a place to sleep for the night, and he slept in this pagan temple. And one of these pagan priests was a medium uh, for... um, a demon, right? And uh, what you read from history was that after Gregory spent the night in that in that pagan temple, um, the demon never went back to the priest, and the priest actually became one of the very first converts of from the ministry of Gregory the Wonderworker. And Gregory showed that God was more powerful than the one that the temple priest had worshipped. So when you look at healing and you look at these ancient stories of thousands of years ago, you find that not only from scripture, but you find in the very early church that healing was a mark of the Christian church. And when I talk about healing, I'm talking about emotional healing, spiritual healing, physical healing, relational healing. Healing is part and parcel of the Christian message. You can't talk about authentic Christianity You can't talk about the Christianity of Jesus and the Christianity of those early apostles or the Christianity of the early church or the church worldwide or even our own church without thinking about health and healing. So I've got to ask you, why? Why? Why don't we see sick people All over Australia, why don't we see those sick people flooding into churches saying, help me. Help me. Why? Why don't we see people coming into churches saying, I've been to the doctor. They can't tell me what's going on. I've had test after test after test. They can't get to the bottom of what's wrong with me. Why don't we see people coming into the church saying, help me? Why don't we see people coming through the doors and saying, you know what, I'm in bondage. I've got stuff going on in my life and it's taking me down. I'm in bondage to um, whatever the addiction is. Uh, It's alcohol. I've got a drug problem. I'm addicted to this and I'm trying to deal with it and I can't deal with it and and, and I need help. Why don't we see people coming through those doors and saying, I've got a gambling problem and I need help. I need release from this. I've got a shopping problem. I've got a sex problem. Why don't we see people coming through those doors asking those questions saying, my life is a wreck. Can the church help me? I was thinking about that. And, 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 I, and I think I have a few reasons why we don't see that. Why we don't see people flocking to churches and going, I need to be healed. And I think one of the biggest problems we have today is, is worldview. People have a, a worldview. We all have a worldview. And what I'm talking about here is a certain perspective of how we see the world. And people have a perspective how, of how they think healing should happen. Right, so we have lenses. That's what I mean by our worldview. We have lenses through which we interpret life. So we, our worldview, is shaped by things like education. Our, our interpretation of life is, is, large, is, is hugely affected by the things that our parents tell us when we're growing up, our prejudices, our political affiliations, the people we respect, people we listen to, our culture, our, our ethnic traditions. All of those things impact our worldview. And, I, and I'm generalizing now, but our worldview today in the culture in which we live says that healing does not come through Jesus. That healing does not come through prayer. It comes through doctors. It comes through therapy. It comes through the pills in my, in my medicine cabinet. Now, I just want you to hear me really clearly now. Don't go walk out of here and say, Andrew's got a thing in for doctors. I don't, right? I I, I think the medical profession is of great value to the world in which we live. Uh, The skills that therapists and doctors have, the availability of medicine, the progress that we've made in in, in, in the field of physical and psychological illness, all of that are gifts from God. So I'm not precluding any of that. And God can very often work healing through medicine. What I'm saying here is that a lot of people out there today don't associate healing with God they virtually never think of God and healing in 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 the same space it's the doctors it's 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 medicine and as Christians we actually need to give that some thought you know I have two verses which have I've kind of anybody got a life verse anybody know what a life verse is that's something we make up I got, a, I got two life verses from Proverbs chapter 5, verse, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 verse 5 and 6. And uh, these are verses that I've just, I've, I call them my life verses because I've just held on to this, I've memorized these words and I've held on to them for the, probably the last 30 years of my life. And I often come back to these words and I, I, I recite these words, I speak them out loud, I remind myself of these words. And so these words in Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6, uh, the word of God says, trust in the Lord, with all your heart, and don't rely on your own understanding. Just think about that for a moment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. I love those words. Do you know, too often when it comes to our physical or our emotional healing... We rely primarily on our own understanding. We rely on our worldview, and we're not relying f- first and foremost on God, first and foremost on Jesus. And so in the 21st century, because of our worldview, we, we, um, we, we kind of discount divine healing as a real option when it comes to healing our, our illnesses. when what we should be doing, especially as the church is Trusting Jesus and obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit first and foremost. First and foremost, looking to God, believing in Jesus, right? Understanding that he is the one who came to bring something of the age that is to come to this age. He is the one who's brought a bit of heaven to earth. He is the one through whom you and I experience wholeness and freedom and well-being, right? And so what I mean when when I, when, when, when I say that it's first and foremost, it's like I've got, I've got an ear issue today. I don't know why this started on Friday, but my ear is blocked up in my left ear. So you need to pray for me in a little bit. But my very first reaction might very easily have been to say, what medicine have we got? My ear is blocked. Instead of going, Lord Jesus, which I did do, Lord Jesus, I've got an ear problem here. I want to rely on you first. Can you bring healing to Can you bring your healing touch to me? Do you understand what I'm saying over here? All too often, I got a headache. Here's a panado. Panadol, paracetamol, take that, ibuprofen. Instead of very firstly, primarily as a Christian going, Lord, I've got this headache again. Please, would you? I'm going to take a panado. Bless this thing to my body. I'm acknowledging God first, I'm putting God first. That's the problem that we have with healing today because we, we don't see the healing and stuff. And, and sometimes we, we, uh, it's just like surreptitiously, it's crept into our lives. Without even realizing it, we're not looking to God first. We're looking to medicine. We're looking to doctors. I better go to the doctor. I better do this. Can you book an appointment for me? It's not a bad thing to do the appointment. It's not a bad thing to go see a doctor. But have you gone to the divine healer first? Have you laid that before the divine healer? Have you said, Lord, I've got an issue over here. It's a health issue, and thank you for the medical field, but I'm going to bring this to you in prayer first. And so I think that that kind of worldview can stifle our healing. And alongside that, many Christians and many people in the world today struggle with this thing called disillusionment. And, and, and it's because we can't fully comprehend the ways of God. And at times... We're struggling with an illness, with a sickness, whether you know, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever it is. And despite our faith, despite our prayers, it seems like God is just not there, God's just not, not helping. And so what happens is we eventually sink, in, sink into disillusionment. And I think again that one of the problems with the miraculous is that sometimes we just give up too soon. Because the miracle's delayed, we think it's been denied. Yeah? Oh, I, I can't pray anymore. I've had enough of praying. We think we, we live such long lives. Who's going to live till 90? 90, how old? Fresh? You, you're aiming for a century. Good on you. Good on you. Is 100 a long time? <laughs> it's, it's nothing. When you compare it to eternity. Yeah? And so often we just get a disillusion because we, God's not done it now. In my little time and space, I want it done now, this month, now, this today. There's no God. He's not healing me. <laughs> he doesn't love me. <laughs> okay. John the Apostle, when he speaks about the Holy Spirit, he, says, he uses the wind. He says, the wind blows, as an example, he says, the wind blows where it, where it wills. You can hear its sound, but you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going to. And that's the, that's the issue. Too many people give up and say, the wind's not blowing in my life. The Holy Spirit's not touching me. I'm not seeing that miracle that I've been praying for. And, and here's, what I, here's what I mean about the eternity question and, and how long you're going to live for. If you've given your life to God, then God is for life. Now and forever. Forever. And if you don't have your healing now, I want to tell you that a time is definitely going to come where you will have your healing. And so it should not stop you from seeking God. Don't give up in prayer. Don't give up hope of experiencing a little taste of what the kingdom holds when it comes in all of its fullness. Because that's what the scripture teaches us. It says an age is going to come where there's going to be no more disease. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more pain. And that's the vision that we've got to hold. And we say, God, I pray for a touch of your kingdom now in my life. And don't give up. Keep thanking God. Thank God for your healing. Man, I get up and I'm like, God, here's my ear again. I'm thanking you for my healing. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to take that paracetamol because it helps a little bit. Thank you for my healing. We should not give up praying. Stay faithful in pursuing God. And then I think another hindrance Uh, This is the last point on this. We could go on forever. But uh, one of the other hindrances to divine healing is the problem of religious opposition. And we in the church, we know what this is. I mean, throughout the history of the church, there have been religious opponents to divine healing. The message about miracles, uh, the practice of healing, divine healing has been robbed, it's been ripped off through the religious arguments. I don't know how many people I've come across who say, it's not for today. That stuff's not for today. It was for then. It was in the Bible days. It's not for today. And I said, baloney. It's going to say something else. Now I'll have to repent. <laughs> baloney. If I go back to the early church in the first couple of centuries, it t- shows me a different picture. And not only that, if I look at some of what's going on in some churches around the globe today, it gives me a different picture. But we've got these religious n- nutcases who come through and Healing's only for the special anointed ones. You've got to go to that conference to go and get it. You're just an ordinary pastor. You're just a normal Christian. Now you've got to go to Brother So-and-so or whatever, you know. Baloney. That's just too far from my experience of God, and I can't subscribe to that view when I look at what God has done through the ages in the church and through what I'm taught in Scripture. Just can't subscribe to that. So my question this morning is, How can we recover divine moments of healing? What have we got to be doing to boost our faith and our confidence that we are included in God's plan for wholeness? Because that was part of the ministry of Jesus was to bring the message of wholeness into the world. Shalom. Shalom. Wholeness, that's what that Hebrew word means. To bring that into this world. How can we, what do we need to do? Do you know what we've got to do, church? We've actually got to start practicing it in our homes, in our small groups, in our church. We've actually just got to do this. We've got to, in faith, make room to anoint people with oil and pray for those who are sick. We've got to do it. I I promise you, I'm I'm dead sure that if you prayed for somebody who was really ill or somebody who 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 was sick and they got healed, it would change your whole view. You'd be like, what? What? Do it again, God. Do it again. Uh, the problem, I think, is that we've never seen God use us, and so we don't believe that God really wants to or that he ever will use us. But we've not stepped out in faith to say, God, I'm just going to, in faith, come and pray for healing. But I tell you what, if you had a friend or a child or somebody that you loved desperately who was sick and you prayed for them and they got healed, man, you'd be, you'd be hooked. You'd be like... God's used me? And in fact, that comes down to every activity of the Christian life. If you had to see just one person that you know come to Jesus because of you, you'd be like, God can use me. Being an instrument of the Almighty God, what could be better than that? So we've got to actually be, we've got to be practicing this as a church. We need to risk it. I think you know one of our obstacles is like we, we, we don't want to pray for people and look bad. Anybody ever have that feeling? Oh Lord Jesus, now I'm stepping out. I don't know if I can do this, and I've got in front of people, said so I'm going to pray for healing. Faith, no, no, God, you're going to look bad if if it doesn't work out. You'll look bad. Is it God that's going to look bad, or you going to look bad? Too often we're out there and we think, well, I'm just you know you know <laughs> I, I have to be in control, and, you know, and and I'm not too sure it's going to happen. We get embarrassed. We we don't want to lose face but we actually have to take a risk. And again, if you're a Christian, that's true of everything that you do as a Christian in life. You've got to be willing to put yourself on the line. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You've got to be willing to say, God, I'm just trusting you in this. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to have it all together. You've just got to be humble enough and willing enough to be able to see God do something beyond you. I've been playing golf I've got two guys in the congregation who graciously put up with me playing golf. And um, I haven't hit a hole-in-one yet. But I want to. The only way I'm ever going to hit that hole-in-one is if I keep swinging. i just got to keep swinging. Not today. I'll tell you what. Next time, I'm going to tell these guys, watch me. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to hit my hole-in-one. It's the same thing when it comes to practicing your faith with something like healing. I might not hit a hole in one today, but i tell you what, it's not going to stop me from doing it. It's not going to stop me from praying and believing that God can move and that there can be a healing here. And, folk, you you know, um, there's a secret. There's a secret to healing. Anybody want to know what it is? Okay. Don't tell anybody. It's according to the Apostle John. Very often we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and people will read things like, you know, when it comes to divine healing is the issue of faith. I've heard that a lot. And people say, well, you haven't been healed because you don't have the faith. That is the worst thing you could ever tell anyone. It's got nothing to do with you. God can take the tiniest little bit of faith and use it. He could take a huge amount of faith and use it. It's God who's going to do the work, not you. So when we pray for somebody and they don't get healed and we turn around and say, well, you don't have the faith, that's a lot of baloney. Nonsense. You can actually make a person, you can put a person in a worse place if you tell them that they didn't have the faith to believe. And that's why they didn't get healed. So anytime anybody says that, put them in their place. Nonsense. But that's what happens because people read the Bible and go, well, it's that other people read those 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 uh, books and and go oh behind the issue of divine healing is the compassion of Jesus you don't have a heart of compassion you've got to be more merciful and more loving then we're going to see healing you know or it's it's the it's the it's the issue of power and authority we need the power of god we need the you know you've got to have the voice for it all of that is nonsense that's not the secret here's what we find in the gospel of john we find that behind divine healing is one thing. And it runs through the gospel. And the one thing is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Here's what John says in John chapter 5. He says, and Jesus was talking here to the Jews who were questioning him about his healing ministry. And Jesus says to them, he says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own. Right? In other words what Jesus is saying, hey hey I can do nothing on my own. I can only do what I see the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Whatever my Father's going to do, I'm going to do. And Jesus says the Father, my Father loves me and he shows me all he himself is doing. Let's just read those words again. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Andrew I'm going to use you as an example. I'm going to replace the word the son with Andrew. There's another Andrew. Any other Andrews here? This is applicable to all Andrews in the building. Okay. The father loves Andrew and shows him all that he himself is doing. For me to see what God is doing, I'm going to have to be in deep relationship with him. I'm going to have to be in deep relationship with the father. Jesus says, and the Father is going to show me greater works than these so that you will be astonished. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? He says, you're going to do greater things than I've done. You're going to see greater things than I've done. And so we we can't do what God is not doing. So we've got to be in a space and a place where our relationship with God is, 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 is healthy for us to understand what God is doing. And John's gospel is all about intimacy with God. In John 10, um, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, they know me, they follow me. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch that remains in me will bear fruit. In John 13, we read about John um, kind of pushing into the, 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 the chest of Jesus. It, it's this picture of intimacy right through the gospel of John. And so if we want to see divine healing in our church renew, we have got to spend time with Jesus. We've got to open up our hearts. We've got to read the scripture. We've got to listen to what the Spirit is saying. We've got to put ourselves at God's disposal and say, God, what do you want to do through me? How, do I, how can I be of use in helping meet this need? How do you want me to pray in this situation? How do you want me to act? What are you doing in this person's life? We've got to be open to that, and then when God speaks, we've got to go and do it. We've just got to do it, which is what we're going to do in a moment. But before we do that, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take oil, and I'm going to anoint people with oil, and we're going to lay hands on them, and we're going to pray. This is the outward visible sign, the outward visible symbol that points to an inward spiritual grace. In this whole teaching series, we've been talking about linking the visible and the invisible. When Jesus sent those disciples out two by two, we just read from Matthew, but Mark tells us exactly what they did in Mark uh, chapter 6. Mark tells us that they went out two by two. They proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Look at those words, anointed with oil. And James gives these instructions. We looked at these verses last week, James 5. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Now the oil is not magic. This is not some kind of magic thing over here. This is just a symbol of the divine blessing of God. It's used to represent the healing grace of Jesus. And we use it, As we anoint a person to sanctify that person, to set that person apart as holy. So we anoint them with oil. But what we're doing is we're asking God for the recovery of their health. Physical, mental, emotional. We're praying for that to happen in their life. And there are times where we might even use this oil for someone in preparation of their death. Because oil's got two purposes. One is towards healing and the other is towards liberation from illness through death. But either way we're asking the Holy Spirit to move in power and to usher in the healing grace of Jesus. It's a visible sign that points to an inward spiritual grace. So if you're suffering this morning and I have had the, I've got this ear problem, so somebody's going to pray for me this morning, but what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to come to the front and I'm going to anoint you with oil and we're going to practice our faith believing that anything that would show the kingdom of God is possible. So we're going to anoint with oil, and we're going to pray. But what I'm going to ask you to do is if you come to the front, is I'm going to ask you to stand with your hands open in an added, a posture of receiving, surrender, receiving, and I'm going to ask you to articulate what it is that you want healing for. I want you to think about, you. I want you to ask God this morning personally, Lord, I need healing in this in this area. And if there's anything that you're aware of in your life that is a hindrance. And when I talk about like something where you know like this is not right, it's a sin, I want you to just confess that. You don't have to confess it to me. Confess it quietly before the Lord. And come and I'm gonna anoint you. We're not gonna We're just gonna step out in faith and we're just gonna anoint and we're just gonna allow God to do what He's gonna do. So I might be the only one and I'll have to have somebody pray over me, but if you want to if you want pray and please don't go let's just let's just wait until we're done we're going to pray